I think um, it's great being in the presence of God, right, and worshipping God and that sense of if you feel dry, come again. He wants to fill us again. And, and I think today, we're every, every Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. It's great, isn't it? And we can come and get refreshed and hear from God. And the Word of God feeds our soul and challenges us and changes us and inspires us and wants us to go again and reminds us of the promises of God that get us excited more than anything this world could ever offer, however many gyms you might join. Anyway, this is week two of the series in 1 Peter. This is now when my time starts, right? All the rest is not part of the, the timing, just so you know. And if you were here last week, Joe started us off and uh, telling us what it's about in 1 Peter. You would have heard that if you're a Christian, you're chosen by God, not by your own merit or anything you've done, and we're set apart as exiles. And so we're meant to be different. So don't be surprised when we're at odds with the world's values. And the recipients of Peter's letter were being ridiculed and mistreated for their faith. So there's some comparison, perhaps, for us in today's world, in the, in, the light, in the society that we live in. So let's read through the verses in the Bible. 1 Peter, the kids are already enjoying it. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 12, says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. These nine verses are bursting out with glorious truth. And I'm going to leave the verses on the screen throughout the, throughout the talk this morning so that you can drink them in, you can read them, you can check that what I'm saying matches up to what is actually in the Bible. And Peter, he's the guy, he's the impulsive one, as Joe pointed out last week, and who saw firsthand the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing to, the, to those of us who didn't have that privilege that he had. 
But I love these, the first line in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's exploding onto the page of the Bible here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's got loads to say, loads of deep truths. And maybe it should be, or you might have thought it would be the other way around, to talk about all what's going on, all the truths of the Bible, and then say praise be to God. But he just can't contain himself. It's as if he knows what he's got to come, what he's going to write about. He's so amazing. Peter could have started with the deep truths and then about praising God, about God's mercy, the resurrection and all the stuff that follows. But he is right here worshipping God. His heart is stirred, full of worship, right from the outset. He can't help but break out into praise. And as we go through these verses, I just hope there's a growing heart and desire to offer praise for God for what he's done and what these verses say. Verse 3 continues, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. In his great mercy, the mercy of God is displayed throughout the pages of the Bible. And there's at least 150 references in the Bible to the mercy of God. It's similar to grace, but not quite the same. This is a short definition. <clears throat> Excuse me. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve, and mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Well, what do we deserve? Separation from God forever. That's what we deserve. <clears throat> My sin, your sin, separates us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. We're all in the same boat. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There it is right there. That is what we deserve. It's very clear what we deserve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes we can think, well, I've progressed from the gospel. I've progressed from those verses in Romans. I understand it. I get it. I've done the beta course. I've been around years. But we need to receive the mercy of God every day understanding it, reminding ourselves of it. I'm living today because of the mercy of God. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Love and mercy, intrinsically linked, and, and this mercy is constant. Great is his mercy, overflowing every day, incessant, poured over and out towards us, cascading over you, the mercy of God. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace that you've been saved. God is rich in mercy. His mercy emanates from his riches. And his riches are vast. They're overwhelming. They're immeasurable. And there's a call on us to be merciful. But our acts of mercy are so small in comparison to God's. And each one of us, if we sat down and wrote a list of all the things, all the, 
the list of mercies that, that God has shown over us. We will be here all day. But the greatest act of mercy ever is when Jesus paid the debt, our debt on the cross. That's the greatest act of his mercy towards us. And then what follows is new birth, a living hope, and that's as a result and a consequence of God's mercy. God is not obliged towards this. Sometimes, I don't think we would actually say this, but sometimes subconsciously or you think, yeah, I actually add quite a bit to this church stuff. I've done quite good. I did quite good. I did this, I did that. We had nothing. It's all of God. He doesn't need us. He never has. He doesn't need us to complete him. God is complete in and of himself. It all comes from his amazing, great mercy. God gives us mercy lovingly and kindly, and it extends towards you and me every single day. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth. So he's brought us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's brought us into new birth. Because of his great mercy, we've got new birth. We can receive this new birth. And this, again, is completely the work of God. It's not being a better person. It's not being morally well, morally good, being superior to others. It's being born of God. John 1.13 says, Not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God did it. There's nothing for you or me to boast in. God raised me into new life. He raised you into new life. His power, none of mine, nothing to do with me. I'm alive in Christ because of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, it says the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And all that is from God's. This new birth is from God. God says in Ezekiel, I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. A stone offers nothing. There it is, rock hard, doing nothing, offering nothing, solid, offering nothing. But God says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. And a heart, as you, I'm sure, all know, pumps blood around the body, sustains us, Keeps us alive. I won't go into it too medically because it will be full of flaws, whatever I say after that point. But you know what I mean. It brings life. It keeps you alive. Have you ever watched... I like watching hospital documentaries. I don't know if you like those sort of things. I've normally got whatever that person has got on the TV, but that's another story. But you know when you... I don't know. I think I've, maybe I've seen it in a film. I don't know. But you see they, someone massaging the heart because it pumps blood around the body. It sustains life. How is your heart today? If you've believed on Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Saviour, you have been given new birth. That's your right. That's where you're at. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go, well, you're doing bad lately. Have the stone back. He doesn't do that. You've got a heart of flesh that God has done. But I'm still asking the question, how is your heart today? Is it full of life? Is the Spirit of God coursing through your veins like the blood flows around the body of an international athlete on full speed? 
Or do you need some... Excuse me. Or do you need some cardio intervention? Are there some blockages in the system? Are you a bit out of rhythm? Is there a bit of heart failure going on? Well, the Bible instructs us in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. He's given us a new heart, but there are things for us to do. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart from pride, from cynicism, from comparison. Guard your heart from anger, from frustration, from unforgiveness. The list is long. But the good news is, he wants to refresh us and revive us and do that cardio work in your heart today. That your, your life will be coursing through with the, with the Holy Spirit, that you're alive and well. If today you've not experienced new birth, if you'd say, I don't really know Jesus, well, today is a day you can know new birth. It is totally life-transforming. God's mercies are new every morning to enable us to be at a place of a healthy heart, a new heart, and his life flowing through us and out of us towards others. We're renewed day after day. It was never intended, you know, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, oh, that new Christian, don't worry, the honeymoon experience will come to an end. That's not the word of God. He wants to renew us day after day to experience him, to know him, to be full of him. I don't believe in that honeymoon experience. Well, I do, but it carries on and it carries on and it gets better and it gets better. So the title of the talk, this is sort of halfway through, this is the title bit, is Living Hope. And we cannot begin to know and experience this living hope unless we've grasped the mercy of God and the utter transformation that new birth brings. That's why I laboured that a bit. This is so important, to know that and live in the good of it. But before we look at what that means, just a quick look at the sort of hope the world offers. It revolves around happiness. It revolves around being happy. And it's a desire for some future thing that which we're uncertain of attaining. It's also temporary. It's hopeful thinking. We're hopeful or of a good life, even a long life, a healthy life, a happy marriage, enough money, comfortable retirement. And before I was a Christian, I, you know, I don't think I would have written down what my hope for the future, but it would have been, I want to be popular. I think that's probably true for most of us. And what do, you know, so you do things to want to be popular. So I had a, a funny haircut, which was, wasn't funny in the time, it was right up there with the you know, a nice perm and all that sort of thing. It didn't, it? I know that, I know it's laughable now. And I know that didn't really help much either. And I thought, what else could work? I know what, what will make me popular? I'll learn the harmonica. Well, it takes a lot of, I know, I didn't get very far with that either. Toby, you won't be calling me up, that's for sure. We put our hopes in things, or the world does, or wants, and wants to put upon us things that are not going to turn out that well. The hope it's normally quite short term. And they say, like, this is sort of a bit of a sporting thing, really. They, there's a phrase that says, it's the hope that kills you. Because you have this hope and it always disappoints. 
I've got a friend who's a Millwall supporter. And if he ever has hope, that is an incredible thing. But I remember him saying to me, he took his son to football and he said, son, they will always let you down. <laughs> Which is very true if you're a Millwall fan. But, but it's true of what the world offers. It will fall short. It will let us down. The best it can deliver is in the short term. And that doesn't very often happen. The best it can offer is a great life, but it's going to end. This living hope that Peter has declared is made possible through the resurrection of Jesus. It's not some forlorn hope. It's, it's all hinges on Jesus and on his resurrection. It's a living hope because Jesus is alive. It's a living hope because it produces the fruit of a transformed life. We have this hope because we know what he has done. He died on the cross. He took our punishment and he rose again. Look at your life. You'll see fruit of God in your life. There's a living hope. The living hope is of the past, what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, his life, death and resurrection. The past, you can look back and see what God has done in your life. Transformation, real fruit. It's present, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with inexpressible joy and glorious joy. And it's future, verse 4. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And we looked at the past, you know, mercy of God, new birth. And we're going to look forward now. What produces life, what produces hope in this life. And I'm going to read verse 8 again for you. It's, I hope it's still on the screen. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You love him, we believe in him, and we're filled with joy inexpressible. And this joy is for now. This is not just for future. This joy is for today. This living hope has some fulfilment, has impact upon us right here, right now. Present joy because we believe in Jesus. Because our faith rests on Jesus. This joy is not self-generated. It's not we're going to whip this up. It doesn't belong to the, the, heart, the glass half full crowd. It doesn't just belong to those who have great circumstances. What they're going through is good. It's given to those who are found in Jesus, you and me. And this joy is a taste of what's to come. And we know it's not always like that, right? We, I look around this room today, and you're looking like, like largely a happy lot. But we know it's not always like that. Every minute of every day, this joy inexpressible. We don't always feel joyous when difficulties come. The life of an exile is not an easy one. There will be pain in this life. Trials will come. Hardship will happen. Just in this room, there will be people going through pain. There will be people struggling with illness, with loss, financial troubles, difficulties at work, loneliness, alienated because your worldview is, is going really against the grain of this society. The list goes on. You probably can think of other things even in your own life. And verse 6 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while 
you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the ESV it says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Two words there in the two different translations. If necessary, or you may. God oversees all these trials. If you're going through a trial today, God oversees this. He knows all about it. He knows, and Jesus holds on to us, not the other way around. He holds on to you, he holds on to me. And it can seem a long time when we go through the trials, when we go through grief and uncertainty. And, and obviously, some go deeper than others. Some go on longer than others. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This doesn't necessarily mean you go to bed and in the morning all will be well in the morning. But it will be well with your soul in the long term. You greatly rejoice and suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And we can know joy and suffering simultaneously. But this doesn't mean faking it or pretending this isn't going on. Or even gritting our teeth and saying, I'm going to get through this, you watch me. I'm going to tough this one out. Let's look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says he was sorrowful and troubled to the point of death. In anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood. He wasn't saying, bring it on. I'm ready for this. He was full of anguish. He experienced anguish and pain. Hebrews 12.2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, deep joy. Deeper than the trial, deeper than the grief. Tim Keller says this, Real courage is not the absence of fear or anguish, anguish or grief, but the presence of joy. So much joy that fear or grief plays its role. It can run alongside it. And these trials prove the genuineness of our faith more precious than gold. The refining of gold makes it pure. How much more your faith as it is tested and proving the authenticity of your faith. And gold will eventually perish. But our faith is imperishable before God. Are you going through a trial at the moment? Are you suffering? Take heart because God knows and he wants you to know a deep joy in the, middle of in the middle of tears, in the middle of sadness, in the middle of anguish. Verse 4 says this, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a future inheritance. We have an inheritance now, but we also have a future inheritance Salvation is a present reality and it's a future certainty. We can be confident in the present because we're shielded and protected by God's power. I'm so glad that my trust in God is shielded and protected by God. It's not dependent upon me. It doesn't rest on us. 
but his power, our faith resting on his power. But this salvation is also in the future, the coming salvation into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This is our living hope, kept for you, resulting in praise and glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. It's for you and me to receive the unfading crown of glory that will never fade. That's amazing. We have seen him, but we love him, a work of God. And the living hope is that we will see Jesus. I don't know if you're excited about that. A certain hope, a glorious inheritance is ours. And the theologian J.C. Ryle says this, said this, I pity the man who never, never thinks about heaven. It's true, isn't it? What a question, or what a statement, I should say. Jesus is coming again. I would say I don't talk about that enough. And talk about heaven and my inheritance and our inheritance. Wow, I think I should talk about it more. It's a glorious inheritance. No sadness, no sickness, no anxious thoughts, no sorrow, complete happiness, full of life. No aches and pains, no death, no funerals, no mourning, no mental illness, no jealousy. You can fill in some of the other, know this, know that. It says in John 14, In my Father's house there are many rooms, a place of residence. I can only try and imagine or speculate. And I know there's one or two designer type people around and architect type people. But I know this, the best architect, the best designer, the most creative will come nowhere near close to what awaits us. That's a joy, isn't it? Mark, I know you're pretty good at your job as an architect, but it won't even come close to what Jesus has got for you and I. And here is the greatest joy of all, because all of that is a bit of a subplot. Revelation 22.4, we will see him face to face. This will be our greatest joy. What a hope. What a present we've got because we see him in part right now, dimly. But we have an inheritance that is absolutely and literally beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. I want to talk about it more. I don't want to be awkward like, and, you know, every, you go to a party and, oh, can I just remind you of heaven? It, you know, we've got to find the right place. Not, you know, we can be a bit weird, but not really weird. But I want to think about it. I want to talk about it. Jesus is coming again. He's coming for you and he's coming for me. And he's, we're going to be with him forever. And it won't be boring. It will not be boring. It will be the best of the best. So we live in the good of this hope. And so we can know deep joy right now, unremitting joy through the trials we face and the suffering. And we can't help, if we believe this stuff, if we're living in the good of this stuff, we can't help but be different. I sometimes think, that, you know, the world, what it's offering, oh, it is rubbish, right? And we have got this hope within us, in earthen vessels. We can be shining stars in a crooked generation because of the hope that is within us. 
this joy, this hope, this inheritance, all made possible through the mercy of God, which caused Jesus to lay down his life for you and me and be raised from the grave so that we might live differently in a no eternal life. And when I was preparing this, and I, let me tell you, I, what a privilege I've got to be able to spend time doing this and investing in the word of God. It comes alive. What an inheritance. And I asked God, what are the, you know, give me some stuff, God. You know, like I want to, and I just felt like God put on my heart parents. The pressures are immense. You know, the pressures really are, oh, I've got to get my kids through school. They need to go to the best school. They need a good education. I've got to protect them from this. I want to give them great holidays. All those, you know, they're all great things, right? I'm not saying don't go on good holidays. Don't send them to the best schools. Of course, do those things. But in line with this, with this in our heads and in our hearts, I feel like God's saying, oh, pray for your kids. There's nothing they need more. Nothing they need more than Jesus to get through where they're going. Pray for our kids. Teach them. Lead them to Jesus. Leave, leave no stone unturned. If they don't pass the sacks, whatever they do these days, I'm a bit out of touch. To be fair, I was always a bit out of touch. But, you know, all those things are important. But bringing your kids to Jesus is the most amazing thing, the biggest legacy you can ever leave your kids Forget your inheritance. I'm not saying spend it necessarily. The kids might have a word with me. But, but you know, let's invest in them. And I felt like God say, like, this is so important. Let's, when maybe there's people here who need to just rejig and remind ourselves. Remind us, this is what I'm living for. And, you know, because I'm older, I thought, God, what do you want to say to us slightly older people? Because we can think of retirement, and there's a retirement coming, or sort of a perfect retirement, where we see Jesus face to face. And let's invest in that. We have a living hope, and our living hope is not golf courses and stuff like There's nothing wrong with golf, obviously, and those sort of things. But invest now for the kingdom of God. Our living hope is in Jesus. We're passing through. Let's enjoy all that God gives us, the great holidays, the nice homes, all that stuff. Let's enjoy it, the blessing of God. But they're all going too. We're going to be of him forever. Let's enjoy what God's got for us. But remind ourselves we have a living hope. Jesus is coming again. And, and we're going to celebrate these verses by taking communion together. And uh, I'll just... Find the verses in 1 Corinthians 11. For it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're going to take communion. And in anticipation, he's coming again. 
And when we take communion, Joe said it right at the minute, we're having sung worship and we, you know, we're going to come and worship him and encounter him. But we're encountering him through his word and we can encounter him as we, as we share communion together. And what I'd love us to do is, we, we, in a moment, we'll go, when I say, just go and get the, the bread and the juice, the gluten-free over there, that corner. Let's get in groups of five or six, four, five, six, maybe seven, not too big. Because I'd love us to celebrate this and go remind ourselves, Jesus, you are coming again. But also it's an opportunity to respond. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you say, something is happening. There's a stirring in my heart. I want to know more about Jesus. Well, you can respond, say, Jesus, in faith, I'm trusting you, you are who you say you are. You can take communion for the first time and then we'll... Come and talk to us. We'd love to tell you more. But when we take communion as well, I want us to be ready to respond. If you're facing a trial, well, let's get round one another and pray for one another. If you need fresh joy, let's pray for one another to receive fresh joy. And if you feel I need a bit of assurance, well, let's pray that God comes by his spirit and reassures us, you have received this new birth. 